Earthlings. Nice to have you with us again. So today we're catching up with Harish Hyundai. He's an entrepreneur based in India and has made social change his number one goal. He co-founded the startup known as Sulco, which provides solar energy to hundreds of thousands of underserved Indians. He's won numerous awards for his work as a social entrepreneur, including the Ashton Award for Sustainable Energy, which was presented by Al Gore, the Accenture Economic Development Award, the Social Entrepreneur of the Year Award by the Schwab Foundation. He was also awarded a Doctorate of Humane Letters by the University of Massachusetts and many, many more. He's a super inspiring individual and he's dedicated his entire career to making social good. So without further ado, I give you Harish Hyundai. Harish, thank you so much for joining us. Join our absolutely delighted to have you on the show and learn all about the hugely impactful work you've done over the last 20 plus years. Can we kick things off by you telling us a little bit about your background? Where were you born and where did you grow up? Well, I was uh, born in uh, the city of Bangalore, um, but I grew up mostly uh, in the city of Raurkula, which is in the Orissa, it's a steel steel township where my father was working for the steel factory in uh, for the Steel Authority of India Limited. So that that's where I did my early schooling. And you went on to study engineering as an undergraduate. Was that in the same region? I uh, very yes, very nearby, uh, near Calcutta, in the Indian Institute of Technology, and uh, did my. Uh, bachelor's, yes, and in energy engineering and uh, went to the US to pursue master's and later on PhD. And that was uh, in engineering as well, but specifically solar uh, in energy. How did you initially become interested in engineering? I, I guess it, I mean, uh, uh, well, uh, I mean, in India, it's like a herd mentality. Right? I mean, either you become an engineer or a doctor. Okay. It's not and so <laughs> while, while you're in the 10th or 12th grade, well, what do you want to become? Engineer or a doctor? And there's no other choice. Uh, otherwise, either you're bad in studies or you're perceived to be bad in studies if you took anything else. And I think you're forced to get into this. I see. Okay. So obviously, you know, you, you decided on the engineering path as opposed to being a doctor. And that was specializing in, as you said, energy engineering. I wonder if you could tell us when that focus in energy engineering turned to the the social side of it and using it as a power for the underserved. Uh, see, um, um, it was, I mean, so the thing is that I uh, went to an uh, institute called the Indian Institute of Technology as an undergrad. And India at that point of time was the high, the better school you get to, it was cheaper. And so this was one of the best school in India and it was the cheapest because 90% is subsidized. And uh, what he, what, there was a conscious in me that, that I went to that school because 300 million Indians did not write for the exam. And, and why they didn't write it is because you are in a, in a, in a not a playing field. I mean, it was not a same planes, right? So, so when I went to the U.S., um, the Dominican Republic. I went to do uh, to do my research in large solar, and but I had a chance to go to the DR, and that's when I saw uh, solar being used for upliftment of society in a very small way. But that's when I started to think, came back to the U.S., changed my topic, and started to look at how can solar be connected to uh, reduction in poverty. And that was kicked off by the knowledge that there was a massive amount of students in India who were not able to write their final exams. So that was really the the seed of this passion or this interest in developing a solution. I went to the most elite school and people pat you, the elite, I mean, you oh, you went because you're very smart. And so because they, they select 1,500 students after, out of 300,000 to write for it. And so the question for me was, well, that's, unfortunate because that means many more didn't write it and then so i'm i'm selected among a very few pool of people who wrote it because my father was in the right place and just because i wrote it and got through it i'm called right oh i'm i'm, I'm elite student i'm very smart but the question is that's a very small um that's a very unfair way of looking at stuff so it's like i'm on a i'm in a running race and i'm at 50 meters 
others are at minus 50 and say I have won the race. And that's for me was unjust. It's interesting. I mean, like you said, there was 300 million Indians that didn't have the opportunity to write those entrance exams in the first place. And just to put that in perspective, that's almost the entire population of the USA. So that's not it's not an insignificant amount of people that didn't have the opportunity to get involved. So I think that's a really valid point. And that's today also. I mean, today, if 300 million Indians don't have electricity. My father was in the right place and my other colleagues whose parents were not in the right place just because just because they don't. It's like farm. If I did a PhD on sugarcane, I would be called an expert on sugarcane. But a farmer doing sugarcane for 40 years will never be called an expert because he does not have a PhD. I think for me, these these barriers is what is very unjust in many ways. And so that's where, how do you utilize whatever you have got in a manner to make a level playing field. So effectively, you wanted to level the playing fields. And I, I'm just circling back to this, Harish, if that's okay, I want to understand when that light bulb moment went off for you. You were talking about the time you went to the DR and found a similar product or similar service that was being provided to what you offer now. Can you go back to that and just explain that a little bit further? See, uh, when, I mean, you're talking of the 90s, right? 1991, where when the earlier thought process was solar is large, should be for large, and how do you like look at large solar? But DR was completely transformational, saying that there were very small solar panels on individual roofs, which had a direct impact immediately for many of the poor households. I mean, there were around 20, 25 households, which completely sh- showed me a different way of looking at solar, saying that it's 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 decentralized. Uh, it's something that individual people can have. I'm not really worried what my neighbor has. And I'm and these these uh, villagers who are poor were paying for it. I mean, it was a holistic way of looking at solar, and and that's when I came back to the U.S. and said it doesn't make sense to look at large solar. How do you look at decentralization? Uh, I mean, how do you? It, I mean, I wouldn't say those were clear in my thoughts at that point of time, but it, in in a manner like how do you democratize? So so basically, that's when I came back to the U.S. and changed my thesis to look at small solar and more so I felt that technology was not the key part. It was the most the social dynamics, the cultural issues, and that's what I wanted to get get little more learnings into it. And that's when I changed my course completely. We're going to go into those factors in a bit. But before we do so, Joy just wants to dive into the Selco business model to give the listeners a better idea as to what it is Selco means to the masses. Yeah. So, um, Harish, uh, just for the sake of the listeners, the DR was referring to the Dominican Republic. So you did a a trip there and and you you uh, the pin dropped for you and you were able to understand how all these social factors as well as using a little bit of technology could uh, then help to apply this model to India. So you then founded Selco to do something similar and maybe a bit more at scale. Can you give us a brief overview of the Selco business model? So yeah, so Selco, uh, the model of Selco was when we started in 94, was basically to destroy three myths. The three myths were poor cannot afford technology, the poor cannot maintain technology, and the third myth was you can't run a commercial venture while trying to meet social objectives. And so that's what uh, was the was the genesis of the birth of Selco in many ways, and and how. And as we uh, and and we today look at no sorry at that point of time look at solar technology in a matter can it lead to better quality of life or increased incomes? So we started looking at creating uh, offices in rural areas and piggyback on third-party finance because there are a lot of government-owned banks. So our business model is very simple, where we go and look at the needs of individual households or businesses, uh, design it. Uh, take them to the local financial institutions, help them get a loan from the bank. We install the system. The bank gives them a loan and they keep paying to the bank over a period of three years, five years, depending on the cash flows, income streams, et cetera. So that's in a, in a just is the business model of Selco, uh, where we, we do lighting, we do swing machines, livelihood applications, churches, temples, mosques, anything that the underserved populations would require. Okay, so it started off as as just simple electricity lighting, but it's expanded into a bunch of other things now. Yes, for for us, we look at electricity as just a part of the uh, what you call it as it's just a catalyst. Uh, it's what 
electricity will do is more critical for us. Is it lighting for education? Is it lighting for extra hours of productivity? Is it electricity for a sewing machine or a hammer mill? What can it do is more critical and how can it do it in a way that either the quality of life increases or there's an increased income for the poor. Absolutely. I mean, if you think of electricity in our Western life, it's it's simply an enabler. It's something that we totally take for granted, that we wouldn't be able to do anything that we do today without electricity. So it makes complete sense that it's a foundational piece of, of society. I want to just ask you about, for the listeners who are not really familiar with the with solar panels and and how that could work in an environment within India. Can you explain why using solar panels to generate electricity is better for the people and the environment than, say, using kerosene lamps? Today, what happens is uh, many of the households, and and if you look at 1.6 billion people in the world who do not have electricity, their their alternate mechanism or fuel sources is either coal or wood or kerosene, and all are, are injurious to health, they're smoky, they're the, if you, you can't live uh, stand in that room even for four to five minutes and that's what the children are breathing the women are breathing while cooking and that's because pe- the poor don't have a choice uh, either they have to wait for months and years to get electricity which might be unreliable and again many of these electricity is again uh, powered by coal or oil we believe that solar in a decentralized fashion can be done today individual households you need i need one light for four hours solar can do it i need one light two lights one light for four hours and another light for six hours solar can do it a hospital needs lighting as well as powering their essential like baby warmer or incubator solar can provide it today by installing solar panels on top of the of the roof and the beauty of solar it's modular i just want to graduate from one light to a light and a mobile charger tomorrow i add a little more number of panels that's what we do in terms of it's easy, it's uh, safe, and definitely helps people avoid kerosene, candles, coal, all the dirty fuels that we talk about. That's amazing. You don't need to oversell. So you don't need to sell a small um, village, a huge solar panel that completely overpower them. You just need to sell enough solar paneling to power one light. And then when they need another one, you can sell another little module to power the next light and so on. And you can build it up from there. Yeah, it's a it's a very need based, and the beauty it's it's very customized. It's customized to whether a temple needs a light during the, uh, the the prayer in the in the evening, whether the local mosque needs the solar for running the mic system or a church while the father is preaching. So you can customize not only the need um, and also the type of lights. For example, a banana vendor wants a yellow light so that the spots on a banana are not visible. Or a tomato vendor needs white lights, so it's it's redder in, in those lights. You can customize it for the poor in many ways. And Harish, the element of the battery, how long can it store the solar power for? See, it's based, uh, the system design is done depending on the criticality of the application. Uh, for example, you, you can design a battery uh, depending on the what is the local monsoon patterns or, or, or weather patterns. And typically in India, where we work and we design the battery in such a way that three days of autonomy is kept. That means if one, there is no sun for three days, the power that the elect, the energy the, the, the stored in the battery is enough to power your uh, lights or cell phone for three days. In critical like hospitals, you normally design it for eight to 10 days uh, in the worst case scenario. So it, if, if it's too much sunny, where you know that raining rain patterns are less than 25, 30 days a year, then you can design the battery for one day of reserve. So it all depends on, on the monsoons. It depends on the conditions that you can design the battery for and applications. feels like that's such an obvious solution. It's awesome. Harish, can you tell us about the early days at Selco? We read that you started the business with virtually no financing. You even lived in an Indian village to truly understand the needs of the underserved. And you personally sold and installed the first 500 light sets. What was that experience like? I think it was uh, humbling. In, I mean, humbling is an under uh, this one, but... Uh, I would say it. Uh, the, for me, the biggest uh, chal- uh, challenge was how to unlearn what I had learned in bachelor's, master's, and PhD, and that took me time. And how non-inclusive and uh, I would say in many ways uh, disrespectful you become as you get more educated. And I, I, I think that's something that took time. It's more than more than just putting 500 systems was was not not the critical factor. 
Uh, yes, it started with $30, but that again was not a factor. The factor was that people saw me differently uh, and put me on a pedestal because I was educated. For me, that was the most hurtful thing that you are looked in a different eyes just because you had an option because your parents were in the right place. And for me, that is where I think that, and we had created that sense, false sense of hierarchy, uh, which was not letting the poor unleash their sense of innovation and entrepreneurship. And so for me, that was a big learning that how we confuse between education and learning. And that for me, those two to three years is not about understanding the needs of the villagers. Under that, uh, am I able to understand that at all in the first place am i careful sensitive enough to not go with a solution to fit a problem but do i understand the problem in the first place for me that was more critical i, I can i can totally visualize how that would play out and how i would feel in the similar position it would be quite confronting and and hard because i imagine that you you would want to help so much and then you're seen as somebody who can't really understand or can't really help. So I felt that they were taking a solution I was telling blindly and which was not fair because I was educated. And that's not that was not correct. But for us is that I, I did not go to there to help because for me, the poor are not beneficiaries. The poor are partners. Am I able to come up with a solution with my little bit of expertise? There other parts of expertise. Can we come up with a solution together? And unfortunately, that's what we're fighting today in the development space is we go with a solution by trying to fit a problem rather than coming up, articulating the problem and coming up with a solution together where the poor become entrepreneurs, innovators, and they come up with a solution. So I think that's the break uh, saying that it's it's something that is, uh, that's what I would have, I have learned that um, can I can I ever reach their level of thinking? And that's what I'm, I'm in the 22 years. No, I have not. We all need to change our mindset on this issue. I think that that makes complete sense. And now I understand that that financing was a central piece of this model. And building on what, what you just explained to us, we read that you, you said that a street vendor gave you the best lesson for, for building out this model, which was that 300 rupees a month is expensive, but 10 rupees a day is fine. Can you explain what this meant to you and how it works in practice? See, yeah, because today a lot of the there are two things. One is the the financial models are 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 created or financial products are creating created according to as if everybody is on a monthly salaried basis. The vagaries of informal sector are not considered into consideration while designing the financial products. Whether it's a street vendor who earns on a daily basis, uh, for example, or a paddy farmer who earns on a once a year or a sugarcane farmer twice a year, those cash flows are not looked at while designing the financial products. And number two was critical that if poor had to get out of poverty, how do you create the social nets? And one of the very critical factors of creating a social net was that are they bankable? And do they own, will they own assets? And these are the three factors, uh, in a sense, for us was critical that are we creating products that matches their cash flow so they are able to own the asset? Once they own the asset, they become asset owners. That means you've created another layer of safety net for them. Uh, the third is once they become formal into the Indian banking sector, they can step on to take another loan to further their social status, for social and financial status. So unfortunately, Joy, we are known for solar, but the fact what we do using solar as a catalyst is basically create a holistic and sustainable mechanism in which uh, poor can get away from poverty permanently. And that's what we strive to do. That's, and banking becomes one of it, creating the appropriate financial products where they become asset owners and not consumers. And those, that's the differentiation that we try to do. That's really cool. I, trying to create an ecosystem and build a foundation. I'm just trying to visualize your very first conversation with the bank, say, and trying to explain this to them and convince them that this is a good idea. What was that like? In the early 90s, I mean, we had to step a couple of steps backward because many of the solar systems that were installed by the government in, in public places were not working. Either there was a poor after-sales service or it was designed poorly. So once you go to a bank... First thing you have to convince is, will it actually work? 
And secondly, they said, why do you want to work in a rural area? You might disappear because many a time, the urban businesses have actually taken advantage of the rural areas, created this services, products, and ran away as soon as it did make economic sense, leaving those assets stranded, many of the systems not working, whether it's solar, whether it's water pumps, whether it's anything else. So I think one was to convince that you're there for the long term. And being a 27, 28-year-old person with other 27, 28-year-old persons was that people had to take us seriously. Which <laughs> took and, and also, because if I was in their position, man, so many people has, have come and taken advantage of the poor. Why? I mean, I would assume you're one, one more person of that nature. So not only had to assure them that technology will work, We'll assure them you are there for the longest term to actually do what you have told to do. And because if if the systems didn't work, the non-performing asset is with the financial institution and not with us, right? They they will suffer if the system does not work. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, you mentioned that Selco was set out to disprove three key myths. Uh, and we've covered off uh, the, the financial piece, which is that poor people cannot afford sustainable technologies. So you managed to solve that with sort of rejigging the financial system. Secondly was that poor people cannot maintain sustainable technologies. And third was the social ventures cannot be run as commercial entities. So for those second two, has Selco been able to prove them wrong? Yeah, see, second, see, see classically, we confuse between intellectual poverty and financial poverty. We think that people who are financially poor are intellectually poor, which is a completely, I mean, below. It's 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 a complete false statement in many ways, right? And so we basically said, if we have to create an organization in the rural areas, our colleagues would be from the rural areas where they come from. So we build a natural trust with our end users, uh, clients, the banks that we are you and you are us in many ways. And this is no difference that this, this boy or a girl was born and brought up in this village and he manages our office, for example. Or we know we have gone through ourselves in our life such through conditions. So that's why we are telling you that this this could be a good solution for all of us. So today in 52 offices, we are in Selco, there are 500 plus colleagues and most of them come from the local areas where they come from so and and could have been clients in one way or the other and also and i mean solar is was perceived to be a so-called exotic technology but it's no different than i mean people who refer cell phones and televisions it's that's much more complicated than solar so so one is by creating service centers we have disproved the in the local areas run by local people destroy the second myth and third is, we believe that um, if we have to be sustainable purely, if you don't meet the social needs, you will not be financially sustainable over a long period of time. It's not, And so we completely do not agree that you've got to sacrifice one over the other. We believe that good business models are one that you can, it's it's quite natural if you meet the social objectives you will be viable financially viable and so we have a joke here joy that we started the same year as lehman brothers we still exist (laughs) (laughs) well i was gonna say i mean look around what's happening in the world today you you could definitely argue that the model you know the extreme capitalism model is just not working no, and, and that's what you see. We, we are sometimes, we, we, are, we are branded as communists and socialists and everything else. We say, yeah, it's great to be a communist or a socialist. We have been 12 years continuously profitable. And yes, call us communists. But can you please explain me if Uber is making losses, Ola is making losses, Airbnb, but they are market forces while we are communists who make profits from last 12 years. So I don't <laughs> understand about what it means to be a market force then. <laughs> the world is totally upside down. Everybody's attributing value in the wrong places. Right. So so it's it's just common sense. I mean, it's just common sense. You are part of society. You, we cannot say, oh, while to make money, you cannot be, you have to think differently. And uh, so that's, I, I don't understand that actually. I love that. And I think we read a quote of yours, which said energy solutions shouldn't just tick boxes. They should transform communities. 
Um, and that's what you've done. You've you've not only provided the communities with a service and enabled it for them to develop um, and build a foundation and get themselves out of poverty. You've also created jobs and an infrastructure and an entire ecosystem um, for people in villages, which is amazing. No, but I also thanks to I mean, see, the thing is that I tell you, I mean, you said in the beginning that uh, all the awards and all, I've got a lot of awards because I speak English. And a lot of my colleagues who has logged it over the years, who have come up with various innovations, would not have got their, have not got their awards. And that's why I feel very, very guilty. And not English as a language, I'm saying, just that in, in a country like India, where we have created another hierarchy about English and, 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 and masters and PhD. I mean, who gets the money? PowerPoint, Excel and Word. Non-English speakers have absolutely no chance to get the monies that I would have got. I think, unfortunately, we are known for solar, but we want to break that myth or, or how do you create platform for the vernacular, uh, especially in a country like India? How, how do you break these false hierarchies that we have built up in the last 78 years, 70 and 80 years? Yeah, again, attributing value, you know, perhaps fairly and perhaps unfairly. Or at least not evenly. It just, it just does seem crazy. We, we, do, we do need to figure out ways to turn this sort of thing around. And it's happening all over the world. Now, you mentioned that there are, you started telling us some of the, stat, the latest stats. Because when we were looking online to find out how many households have been supplied for Selco and how many employees, we couldn't find the latest numbers. And you've told us, I think you said, was it 500, 500 employees today? We are around 560 in, in Selco, India. Yes. 560. And households supplied, how many? 675,000. Wow. Wow. That's, that's really amazing. cool. It's yeah. <laughs> epic. It's a huge number. I think 11 or 12,000 institutes. Uh, institutes means uh, seminaries, churches, uh, mosques, temples, residential schools, yeah, uh, runaway uh, kids' hostels, etc., etc. Wow. I can imagine that's a hell of a lot of CO2 saved as well. Yeah. I mean, and hopefully, hopefully that becomes the benchmark for uh, sustainability in a, in a manner that uh, see, the, the good part is that we've been here for 23 years. What has happened also for us is a lot of the grandkids are buying solar because that's the only way they think is the way forward because they've been born and brought up under solar lights. Yeah, that's cool. So it just becomes this, the benchmark, the standard for the next generation. Right, absolutely. I read the story about the um, the girl who refused to get married until a solar, a solar panel was installed in her in her husband's home. She has got two kids now. <laughs> so the question is, no, sometimes I purposely don't go to my earlier clients' households uh, because um, I have a certain image and, and I I just don't want to that image to be erased because I've gone to some of the old ones and I want to look out for that girl who was there. And when one day they said the girl is married with two kids, it just put me in a shock. I mean, either I'm growing old too fast or... <laughs> Or I'm losing the, I mean, those are pictures of innocence for me that I need to keep it in my mind. Yeah, that's those are special memories. I wonder, Harish, if you could share a couple of other, your most memorable moments over the last 20 plus years that have reminded you of the impact that the Selco team is having. Over the years, I mean, I, I would still say, like, for example, two years ago, um, when, uh, not two years, it's uh, three or four years ago when, uh, um, when, I had installed a system many years ago and, and the mother of the family actually, uh, uh, the, the family called me up and said, this mother wants to talk to you because uh, she thinks she's dying and she wants to see you before she dies. Wow. And for me, well, I mean, that's something that, and is, is something that is why, I mean, it's, and people have paid for it. I mean, a normal commercial venture, you don't look at it, but that's in one of my colleague, technician colleague, Many years ago, 250 clients came for the wedding. And that for me, like, okay, that means we are not a seller. We are, we are part of society and we're trying to do something. And that's so people would call up, call us up and say, my girl has graduated uh, using, could you, could you guys recommend which college should give? Because whatever Selco says <laughs> is something I would believe in which college. So I think those are stuff for us. Uh, even when, a, when, for example, for me, the most um, I think was, when a technician colleague of mine in other circumstances died some years ago and then um, and i had i went to his house he died at age um, for some sort of at 27 28 years and i went to his house 
to to meet his mother every room or or the door in the house it, it was in a remote area where there was no electricity but every room had a selco logo that's amazing wow i had no idea what what was the connection he was there for selco for two years but i mean and the mother tells me i'm so sorry you lost a colleague and for me yeah so it's how how my colleagues consider it as part of family as their part of mission um that they need to do that and and yeah i mean why would a 27 year old kid have selco logo in every part of his door and that's how a lot of my colleagues are in many ways it must have been quite tough harish to scale up the way you have and maintain that family ethos in selco I mean, we've been criticized the other way that we're not scaled up that. And actually, uh, for for us, we the in, interview process or process that six to seven days a week, or a lot of us um, in in the in the rural areas. And in the interview process, also we say that you will get uh, it's a normally a six day working. So we said you will get Saturday off the day the poor get Sunday off, and that's told in the interview process. See, I said we say see, and we also are very clear. There's no difference between personal life and work if you enjoy both our work both our personal both our work right and we tell in the interview so that and these are salary levels we are very clear with our salary level so a lot of people drop out we looking at those criteria and say that this is no difference to than any other type of human right work that you in, in terms of this is inclusivity and we need people who we don't take resumes uh, uh, for example because we don't believe in degrees uh, do you have the passion to work? Okay. Harish, I want to zoom out now and just talk about the energy industry in India. Is a quote of yours that Joy and I came across, the planet will be destroyed by billions of people in the developing world who will be forced to use non-optimal forms of energy to meet their absolute basic needs. Now, this is a really interesting quote, and it made us think of a very prominent scene from the Inconvenient Truths sequel. It was released last year, and that was a scene between Al Gore and Piyush Goyal, uh, who at the time was the Indian Minister of Railways and Coal. I'm not sure if he still is. He said to Al Gore that India will only ever move to renewable energy once it has had equivalent economic development benefit from using coal that the U.S. has had over the last 150 years. But it sounds like you would disagree with Mr. Goyal's statement. Is that right? Yeah. And on the other hand, the Indian government has actually taken a different view. If you look at uh, the pushing for the International Solar Alliance and etc., what we believe and we have pushed for that belief from the, and especially ramped up that uh, ratchet a bit in the last 10 years, saying that India is in such a position to push for renewable energy not only for its 300 million or 400 million people who live under poverty. We believe that sustainable energy is a strong linkage to development of the, with the added benefit being benefit to climate change. And India should take the leadership because Africa is five steps behind, Latin America a couple of steps behind, Indonesia. We could be that center of innovation uh, for sustainable energy and poverty reduction. And that's exactly why India should relook at decentralized way of pushing energy and solar makes so much of sense for a country like India, where not only you're 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 basically looking at two issues: poverty and climate change. And that's where I think that's that's the position that India should be taking uh, rather than any other methodologies. Yeah. Okay, so it's that innovative approach. And interestingly, Joy and I read in Forbes recently that renewable costs in India have actually fallen 50% in the last two years and are forecast to continue to fall. And wind and solar are now cheaper than existing coal-fired generation. Is that correct? On a levelized, because coal is still subsidized and oil is still subsidized, right? I think if, if on a level playing field, definitely uh, solar has the power. But on the other hand, if if you look at the externalities, and I'm not talking of externalities from a carbon perspective, uh, for 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 areas, for example, if I have a solar powered dental chair, for example, I can deliver service at the at the doorstep of the poor, that can lead to better, healthier citizens in the future who will who will contribute to the economic activity of the country. Those costs, if you start looking at in a fashion that solar makes, solar and any 
decentralized energy makes a lot of sense. And that's that's why we are pushing for India to take that leadership position because I think we should stop comparing ourselves with the West and saying that how can we champion for the two and a half billion poor people in the world? Saying that we are going to come up with innovative solutions that could help the three billion poor people in the world and, and get away from this rhetoric of developed versus developing. Can we create solutions for whether it's African poor or a poor in inner, inner city of Chicago? It sounds like it makes sense from a financial perspective, but also from an infrastructure perspective. Instead of extending out a grid um, you know, that, that's based on old technology, you can actually, as you say, take the technology to the people and to the villages that need them most. And leading to democratization, because today what happens is because we love centralization, we we might everybody. I mean, since you might be democratic from a voting perspective, but larger mechanisms like health and education as well as electricity, the monopolization actually excludes people, and and things like solar democratizes provides them health, education, livelihoods right at the doorstep of the poor. That's what we mean that sustainable energy helps in truly democratizing services. And just turning to the aspect of innovations, what sort of innovations are you most excited about at the moment, Tarish? So we're excited about stuff that people would not like, like especially the livelihoods applications. Like, like, Nobody would have touched uh, uh, innovated on a blower for a blacksmith, uh, something that they have been doing for thousands of years. And because it's not a sexy app, uh, it's not something that regular institutes would be interested in because it does not help in resume building. Um, and uh, so hammer mills for blacksmiths, sewing machines, lathe machines, all the livelihood applications that the bottom three billion people would cater. And today they're all using inefficiency in terms of using diesel generators to power them or coal-fired open kilns to look at. Solar power can actually look at those innovations. So we work on butter churners, blacksmith blower, hammer mills, lathe machines, agricultural services like thresher, a weeder, etc. And in the health side, we want we work with companies like GE or anybody else to look at uh, infant warmers, autoclaves, operation theaters, how do you make them more efficient so that sustainable energy makes sense, so that they can be run on sustainable energy. That's on the technology side. We also work on the innovations of financial models and delivery models. So it's a very holistic solution that you're offering at all levels on the supply chain. And this brings us onto the other arms of Selco. We understand that there is actually a Selco Foundation and a Selco Incubation Center. Can you tell us a little bit more about what each of these do? See, for example, the biggest subsidy that Google has got is the internet. Uh, it would not have succeeded if internet was not there. So equivalent analogy, what is the ecosystem required for energy access delivery mechanisms to scale or the processes to be scaled? So the foundation's role is to innovate, create those processes uh, rather than the companies itself. Like how do you, for example, if we put a guarantee mechanism in a financial institution for 20 slum dwellers, and if it succeeds, can we work with the bank and multiple other banks to replicate and scale up that process of guarantee itself? Uh, so, or for example, if we have created a headlamp for a midwife to deliver babies, can we use the same headlamp for scene stems to work on or for people, for women who actually feed mulberry worms for silk? So those are processes that then can be scaled up. And that's exactly when we started the foundation eight, seven years ago. What are the pieces of the ecosystem that are missing in different parts of the country? And can we create a template of a creation of an ecosystem? Incubation processes if, for example, how do we democratize the concept of enterprise? Rather than today people talking of unicorns, can you talk about zebras where we talk about, <laughs> uh, yeah, because unicorns are, I mean, you monopolization of services today, which is crazy. And say, so can we create, uh, uh, Selco being an open source, can we inspire other kids not to repeat the mistakes that we have done in 22 years? We have numerous failures. Can we incubate them? for the different regions that they come from India and around the world, uh, help them from zero to investment ready for them to actually uh, do energy services 
entrepreneurship in in their own areas and that's the incubation uh, process and the fourth one we have is a fund which hasn't been launched um, basically saying that how do we invest into uh, into the incubators who come off the incubation process because today many of them don't speak the language that the impact investors speak um, and so how do you create a platform for this non-formal entrepreneurs to get the finance that is required for energy access yeah. that's uh, that's awesome so it's a, a real grassroots support for the social entrepreneurs is what you're providing right i mean that's that's the, that, that, that's why it's the, the whole family of four selco business which tries to prove that it can happen um uh, selco foundation is creating the ecosystem for other enterprises and other services like health in the health and education Selco Incubation tries to inspire the other youngsters and founders, basically. That's the four. It's like a Lego pieces. You can create these. Uh, I mean, once we've done it, we can actually play around for, say, East Africa, West Africa, Latin America. And, and you can actually do an analogy for water or anything else. Yeah, I was going to say, so for the Incubation Center, is that support for social entrepreneurs who are doing all kinds of things, not just energy. No, no. For, for us, it's very much uh, for anything that we do. It has to be poverty reduction and uh, energy access, sustainable energy. Okay, that makes sense. Examples of that are like the um, blowers for the tool making, and that's in the small entrepreneur. So we have it's like my, those are micro entrepreneurs. Then we have the medium entrepreneurs who who could like who could do business in a couple of villages, and the one who would take a state or or an organization. Uh, hopefully that Selco took 20 years to build what it is. Can we create organizations or incubate young entrepreneurs who, who may take five to seven years? What type of investments would they require? So we tell them, because we have been in the field for 20 years, we can be the bad guys, use our shoulder to fire. We can negotiate on behalf of shareholders, impact investors. What do you want from a policy perspective? So you don't have to go through the hoops that we went through. I've seen you um, refer to the concept of leapfrogging quite a bit, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're trying to do for young entrepreneurs in India. Yes, and, and especially in, in India, we also, for example, at, you know, we, we have on the 13th and 14th, we have something called as the Failures Conference. <laughs> cool. <laughs> also telling people, just be very clear what your failures are. So the other youngsters know, don't only need to read about your romantic stories, but the more important for them is to learn where you failed and how did you get up. And so they don't get into the same pitfall. So that's the concept of the incubation in many ways. Oh, I love that. That's super cool. Now, you've already given us so much food for thought and amazing lessons that you've learned along the way. But I wonder, um, I mean, you, you've met tons of inspiring and interesting people from all over the world, from Al Gore to Barack Obama to the social innovators working on grassroots problems. Could you share any further key lessons that you've learned about solving the world's problems over the last 20 plus years? I think, see, I mean, every day, sometimes you think you've seen it all and then Every alternate day, you get these issues, which humbles you further, saying that there are lots of problems. Uh, that's why I tell a lot of the youngsters is that um, the advantage we had in '94 that we didn't have the internet, and you had to go down to the field to see, look at the solutions. And it's like going to a library when you want to search a book. You also see a book which is below, above, sideways, right? Today, with Google search, you only look at the book by which you want to, and unfortunately, yeah. destroys your. Uh, holistic learning in many ways. So, so, so for, for me, all the travel in the rural areas, along with my colleagues, speaking to farmers, slum dwellers, uh, street vendors, come up with a lot of these tidbits of innovation, thought process, problem solving, frustrations. I mean, those have been more the most inspiring, for example, talking to a street vendor on interest rates and what what is the working capital that he or she needs to take for potato or what happens if the floods happen and she does not have the cash flow to play, pay next next day? Wow. Those are learnings that have been the most inspirational for me, actually. Corporates all over the world are trying to figure out how to do this, right? How do you truly understand the customer need and truly understand what the people that you're serving, what they actually need? And most people are failing at that. So I think that's incredible advice. Yeah, also see, for example, I don't know, you know, there's an icon, Ila Bhatt, who started the movement of Seva, Self-Employed Women's Associations. 
she's around 80 years old I met her last couple of weeks ago and she had made a famous statement like the poverty is the violence against the poor with the permission of the society right and and she basically said that after working for six decades she asked the poor women that am i now one of you no they said no the way you wear your slippers is very different to the way you if she says after six decades i think we have a long way to go <laughs> wow yeah Yeah, we'll have to figure out a way how to leapfrog. <laughs> I also read one of your quotes which said we must think about the long term and have patience, which I I think is is something that our generation is not really understanding as much as we should. I think a lot of us want sort of instant gratification. We want to see results immediately or we'll just give up. You know, what are you, what is your message around thinking long term and having that vision and pushing for it over a longer period of time and having patience? To, to make those results happen. See what happens is we we unfortunately look at a time horizon of our own which is say we all 70 75 80 years old uh, in terms of our lifetime the corporates have started to look at quarterly returns and we are all deciding on the earth which is millions of years old. And so we're trying to create solutions for for the earth that is millions of years old on the basis of very fast on a very short period of time not looking at the larger consequence of of what might happen with our solution so can we rather than also using the scale up for how can i scale up and sell more solar lights can can i scale up the concept of processes and that is where i think uh, where the patience is about processes and not about uh, this individual efforts in a in a manner that we all look at and I, and this it's just like building any relationships whether in a marriage or any other friendships how it takes time but the fruits are much much holistic there's no shortcut for this and and we are we are just hurtling towards solutions that are very very short term Hirish it sounds like you spend a lot of your time speaking with people and learning from others um and being out there in the field understanding exactly what the problems are on the ground but do you have any go to recommendations books podcasts research that people can read or learn about if they want to understand more about social entrepreneurship or building a life of purpose and meaning for themselves see there are lots of it in on the on the web and uh, podcast but i would still encourage people say that look around you there are a lot of social entrepreneurships because every street vendor is a social entrepreneur he delivers he or she delivers services at the most affordable manner at the doorstep where you want it um it could be some bookseller it could be anybody are you able to spend time just one to one or one to two for example just looking at cash flows just looking at why the product is way it's designed how does actually a street vendor rent out a cart after taking 10% interest rates on a daily basis how can a poor beggar go to his cousin's wedding taking the bus where did that money come from one way or the other so i think these are questions that and answers that you can do even just walking couple of kilometers in any city and more so in india brazil or anything else i think without i i i, I mean the question is uh, i also challenge the concept of social entrepreneurship we believe that we are the true <laughs> we, we we look at the entrepreneurship the others are anti social yeah <laughs> why should we be bracketed as social entrepreneur that's how entrepreneurship should be exactly mm, yeah yeah absolutely and people should just follow their conscience and do i mean i think more less books but more i would say get to the ground um, and don't do village tourism or a weekend tourism or how uh, oh, i spent a time in my village for a week no it's it's years when uh, when you start embodying the problem as if it's your own problem then the joy of solution comes through. Yeah, I think this is a huge problem for our generation. We've just got our noses in our phones 90% of the time and we're not out there talking to people and understanding what pro- what the real world problems are. And also I see I mean especially in a country like India or elsewhere that for example when I went to speak at a at a at a senior management team of a research place where the lady she the vice president she's she's born and brought up in India and she said Harish you have a PhD do you actually have intellectual discussions in the rural areas this is my problem mm. this this gap this this divide in thinking is 
is more dangerous than anything. How do we keep that divide? It's that idea that you were, and this goes back to your point, the intellectual poverty is, uh, or, or financial poverty is equated with intellectual poverty, which is absolutely not the case. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we can all learn a lot from just getting out there and speaking to people. Harish, if people want to get involved with Selco, whether it be as a, uh, an entrepreneur that wants to be involved in the incubator program or whether it's people who w- perhaps want to donate money to the foundation, how do they find you? How do they get involved? They can actually write me an email, um, harish at selcofoundation.org and definitely and my colleagues, I can forward it to the appropriate colleague, yes. we were, we are, But we're very interested in the and if people could share with us processes that they have succeeded or failed, um, that's that's from any sector, um, whether it's the water sector or, or sanitation, because what we do is we cheat from other processes and see how can we make it viable for poverty and sustainable energy. Yes, but uh, that's my email. No, and people, uh, mind you, people, I'm not told people I'm not busy. I'm I'm. Just inefficient. There's a very thin line between them. <laughs> so anytime, yes, directly in touch. I will then do that. I will follow up. So. And I, we've seen that there are websites for all the, the forearms of Selco. So we'll put those up in our show notes for this podcast episode so that people can find can link straight through and, and learn more about each of those different arms. Um, and there's also social media, Twitter and Instagram and that sort of thing as well, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, we'll put we'll put links up to all of that. And do let us know, Harish, if there's anything else that would be useful for us to link to uh, from the show notes that people can find uh, on the Selco website, if there's any events or anything exciting coming up that you'd like people to know about. Yeah, the failure workshop is one that's reason, but we, we I would send the links too. Okay, perfect. Harish, thank you so much for your time today. We are so grateful for the work that you're doing. And we really, Joy and I really look forward to just following Selco's huge success in 2018 and beyond hopefully hopefully and as we say we, we should kill our selco should kill itself by 2025 so. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise we i would be very ha- unhappy if it still exists that means we have not dented the problem yeah absolutely well thank you so much Arish. really appreciate the time thanks 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 to both of you and that's a wrap we hope you guys enjoyed hearing from the real deal if you want to find out more about Harish and the exciting things they're getting up to at Selco, pop on over to their website or shoot him an email. You'll be able to find all the details in the show notes at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Otherwise, any questions, thoughts or comments, drop us a note at sustainablejungle.com forward slash contact or shoot us an email on hello at sustainablejungle.com. See you next time.